So John 7 through 9, we have seen in our series so far that there is this thing going on. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, okay? And so Jesus has been saying some bold statements in this time period in the temple uh, during the Feast of Booths. And one pastor in a commentary that I read this week said this, this, this was a setting of great conflict. Jesus had just got done saying, if anyone were to thirst, come after me. He just said, I am the living water. I am the light of the world. And these Jewish leaders, they weren't dumb. They, they were figuring out what Jesus was implying here. And, and if you keep living in your religious system, you will die of thirst. This is what Jesus was saying. You're going to remain in darkness if you remain in your religious system. And unless you come to me, unless you follow me, I am the truth. I am the only one in which you will find freedom. So we see conflict happening on the scene here. And as I was preaching last week out of John chapter 8, you, you saw the conflict that I talked about. Jesus was speaking to these superficial believing Jews who were only really believing in him for his signs and wonders. And Jesus told that, that true disciples are, are people that abide in his word. And when you abide in his word, the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. But they didn't want to believe this. And so what happened was Jesus called them out, and he said, you're not free. Just because you are a descendant of Abraham, that doesn't mean anything. Your group that you are a part of, does not like, that does not give you freedom. It doesn't matter your genealogy or your lineage. You're actually not even, you're not free. You're, you're actually not of your father Abraham because he would be not doing the works that you're doing. And, and actually, your father is the devil. So Jesus is making these bold, radical statements to these people during the Feast of Booze and the Feast of Tabernacles. I am the light of the world. Come thirst after me. You are of your father the devil. You're not even of Abraham. You can see, you can feel the tension building. And we saw last week, there's people that want Jesus dead. Some believed, some were intrigued, but others wanted him dead. But you know what? This is, this is why Jesus came. Jesus was here to set people free. Jesus, it tells us in John 20, 31, that, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is the whole purpose of this book, that believing in him, you will have life in his name. But this angered the Jews. This angered them, and it caused some serious anger and tension and conflict. And it's crazy, because as you look at the end of chapter 8, as we head into our passage today, here comes another radical, bold statement from Jesus as these people are frustrated, and they're, they think he's blasphemous, and and they literally look at Jesus and they tell him at the end of chapter 8 that they literally accuse Jesus of having a demon inside of him because of all the things that he's saying. And Jesus ends up saying, before Abraham was, I am. You recognize the power of those two little words, I am? Jesus was displaying his deity here. Those same two words were used at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 when God said, I am that I am. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, 
I am. Another bold statement from Jesus trying to show who he was, his authority that he had. And this set them off. And if you look at the very last verse of John chapter 8, verse 59, what happens is these people end up picking up stones to throw at Jesus. And so what happens was Jesus hid himself and he ended up leaving the temple. So as that is the context of what's going on in our passage today. And as Jesus is leaving the temple, he encounters this blind man who has been born blind. In all the chaos, in all the tension, in all of the conflict happening at the scene, Jesus sees a blind man. You know, I was struck by that this week in the midst of reading this passage. Despite the chaos, despite the conflict, Jesus still stops and he sees. And he sees this blind man. And it was known at the time that beggars would often sit outside the temple gates. And a big reason for that was because they knew these people were religious and that they were hoping that maybe they would find some conviction to kind of give generously to those that were sitting outside the temple gates begging. They would hope that, these beggars would hope that these religious people would see them and be generous and give them something. And in, but as I was looking at this verse, can you imagine, just, just think about with me, what it would have been like to have been born blind. Not ever knowing what your mom and dad looked like. Not ever knowing what the grass looked like. Not ever knowing what a beautiful sunset looked like. Not ever knowing what the snow that covers our ground looks like. The cornfields look like. Certain animals look like. All this man knew was darkness. And I was thinking this week at this story about how, how Jesus, he had vision for people. Jesus stopped and saw this man. You know, I had a really good conversation with my brother this week about this same type of scenario in our life. Isn't it just so easy to pass by people? Isn't it just so easy in our busyness and in our tension and our conflicts and in our chaos that we just pass people? We don't see them for who they are. And I'm not even talking just about homeless people. Like, it's easy just to, to walk past homeless people on our busyness and, and just kind of move past them and forget them and think someone else is going to care for them. I'm just, I'm just talking about people in general as well. <laughs> like, we're so busy and we just move on and we think about, you know, we kind of scoff maybe at people that, that don't look like us or we're not comfortable around certain people and so we just kind of move on and you know, this is, this is such a picture of ourselves. I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to just move over, move past, hang out with people that are just make us feel comfortable, and move on. And I, you know what? I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this too, guys. And I think even in this church, there's people sitting here right now who are just begging to be seen. There are people sitting in this church right now that come in here and they're they're broken and they're full of conflict and tension in their life and they're hurting and they're just begging to be seen. They're begging to be loved, just praying that somebody will stop and see them. 
and, and embrace them and, and show them the love of Jesus and care for them and listen to them. You know, I, I share this not to guilt trip you guys, but it just really got me thinking about Jesus this week and how we're called to emulate him. In the midst of all of this going on, this busyness and tension rising on the scene in conflict, Jesus still had eyes. He still stopped to see this blind man. And as I was thinking about this blind man this week, I, I began to ask more t questions of the text. Like, how many times did people end up passing this blind man by in his lifetime? <laughs> like, I wonder. How many, how, how many people actually stopped to give this man money? How many people actually stopped to have a conversation with the man, pray with the man, I wonder what would have happened, like, when there was a storm out. Like, would anyone stop to, like, help this guy get to, like, a shelter? Or would he have to figure it out by himself? Like, even the fact that he was born blind, like, I'm sure this man is, has never even ran in his life because he was born blind. So I'm sure he had a cane. I'm sure he had a stick to go around. Like, I wonder... You know, who helped him in times where he may have fallen? I wonder how many days he just felt so isolated and lonely, sitting outside that temple gate, begging. And he'd have to sit in the darkness of his life and in the dirt all day long. He was clearly disadvantaged, you could, and he couldn't see. But I just love this so much about Jesus, because Jesus sees and he sees you. Did you know that? <laughs> Do you understand the connection that's being made in this passage to what he had just said in chapter 8? I want you guys to turn your attention to the screen. Look at this. John 8, 12. Jesus had just said this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is such a strong spiritual picture that is happening in this story if you haven't picked up on it already. Guys, if you are in Christ and you are following Jesus, Jesus saw you at your absolute worst. Jesus saw you in your darkness and in your spiritual blindness, and he reached down and he saved you. He met us in our brokenness, and in our slavery to sin. This blind man wasn't expecting Jesus to come on the scene. But Jesus saw him, and he had eyes for him. This man didn't know what would take place that day. Isn't that so much like our stories, though? We have no capacity to see Jesus on our own. We are blind spiritually before Christ. We are in captivity to sin. We are in bondage to sin. As Jesus just said, and I talked about last week, we are slaves to our sin. We are spiritually alone, but Jesus sees us. Thanks be to God for that. This is so good because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. You know what's cool, too, is this was prophesied in the Old Testament, what this exact scenario was going to be. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 7 says this. It states that a Messiah would come to do this, to open blind eyes, 
to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness. And in Luke 1, 79, we see Zechariah's prophecy being quoted, and it says this in verse 79, that a child, a Messiah would come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. I just love the spiritual analogy of this already in one verse, that we're already seeing this. So let's continue, though, on our passage because it really develops really beautifully. Verse 2 of chapter 9 says this, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So you, you guys notice what's happening here? Verse 2, Jesus sees this blind man, born blind, and the disciples, they instantly begin to have this theological debate. So Jesus, who sinned here? Was it the blind man? Or was it his parents? The disciples wanted to have this big theological debate in this scene about whose sin problem caused the blindness of this man. Was it the man himself or was it, was it his parents? They believed that suffering was linked to a specific sin problem in somebody's life. And, and we know that so much of death and sin and brokenness is a result of the fall from Genesis 3. We, we know that as believers. But we also know that there is nothing more inevitable in life than suffering. And there isn't always a cause for why suffering happens. One pastor said when it comes to suffering, we should always ask the question, what is the cause of this? To see if there is some kind of sin in our life. But then we should move on to the purpose if we can't find a cause. And do you guys notice that Jesus tells us the purpose in John chapter 9, verse 3? The purpose of suffering in this scenario is this. It was not that this man sinned or that his family sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, as I'm reading this, it reminded me so much of the story out of Job. I don't know if anyone else's mind went there. But if you remember Job, Job lost it all. He had everything. I mean, he had 10 beautiful children. He had thousands upon servants, had thousands of animals. He had it all. And God allowed Satan to bring suffering into Job's life, and he ends up losing his servants. He ends up losing his animals. He ends up losing his 10 children. A horrible tragedy. And what happens is Job's friends come on the scene, and they try to explain to Job why this suffering is happening to Job. And, and, and what they say in Job 4 was they said, well, has the innocent ever suffered, or, or when have the upright ever been cut off? And what that means is they, they were attributing all that was going on, all this suffering that was going on in Job's life, they were attributing solely to the fact that Job sinned. That there were specific sins that Job committed that he needed to repent of, and that is why the suffering was happening in his life. But when we read Job, we understand that it was not because of sin that Job suffered. 
it, it literally tells us in the very first verse of Job that Job was a blameless man. He was an upright man. He feared the Lord, and he turned away from evil. And what we actually discover in the purpose of all this, Job didn't understand this, but we as the reader get to experience this. As we read Job, we find out that the purpose was that God, on this cosmic level, is having this conversation with Satan. And he's allowing Satan to bring suffering into Job's life to disprove Satan's theory that Job only loved God for the gifts that he gave him. So Satan thinks, you know what, God? Job only loves you for the blessings and the good things in his life. And God said, no, I have this servant Job who's blameless, upright, fears me, turns away from evil, and here's what's going to happen. You can cause him suffering, but you know what? I'm going to prove to you that he loves me simply for me. Nothing else. In the valley that he's going to go through, I am going to prove to you that Job loves me for me. And that's it. But we see in this story, these disciples (laughs) believing that there is a direct cause to why this man was born blind. And they say, they ask this question, was it the man or was it his parents' sin? Now, I just want to say this as well, that sometimes there is a direct cause for sin when it comes to suffering. We see several examples of this in Scripture. One of them being 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Some of you are sick and some of you have died because you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But this isn't the case here, and it certainly isn't the case every time. There is something that we should know, that there is nothing more inevitable in life than suffering. As believers, we know that too. We are going to share in Christ's suffering. So, in light of all this, Jesus tells his disciples that it wasn't because the man sinned, or it wasn't because the parents sinned that he was born blind, but the purpose of this is that the works of God may be displayed to him in this moment. Have you ever considered that the trials and the suffering and the pain that you are going through right now in your life is happening, that the works of God may be displayed through you? Have you considered that even when you read Job or hear about Job, that that maybe God is trying to teach you to simply love him for him in the midst of your valley? Have you considered enlarging your view of God in the midst of your suffering and pain? And reminding yourself that God is so beyond our thoughts and our ways, and just because we as finite creatures can't come up with a good idea as to why God is allowing something to happen doesn't mean that he doesn't have a reason. We could have a whole other message on this topic, but um, we won't today. But I do want you guys to consider that this morning, those questions. One commentary I read said this this week. Jesus says, here's the reason for the blindness, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man is blind for the glory of God. 
He's blind so that we could come to this moment and this healing and the power of God be put on display and that the works of God be manifest and God be glorified. Let's continue to see what happens in this story. Verse 4, chapter 9, it says this, We must work the works of him who sent me, and while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world and I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool, the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Again, Jesus had just in chapter 8 told us that he was the light of the world. And now again he tells us he's the light of the world. And now John gives a specific instance in which Jesus was seen as light, giving sight to a blind man. Jesus wasn't interested here in having a theological debate with his disciples. (laughs) Rather, the focus in this moment was the glory of God. Jesus chose to focus on, on using suffering for the glory of God here. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, guys, I am, I'm going to be crucified here in a very short time. I don't have much time here on this earth. I, I'm the light of the world, the world who is doing the will of my Father, the work of my Father. And there's coming a time where I won't physically be able to be here on this earth. There's coming a time where I, I won't physically be able to walk these streets with you. And it's time to display the mighty works of God in this man's life right here in this moment. Because the purpose of all of this is that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. That has been the purpose of this book the entire time. Folks, Jesus sensed an urgency in this moment to do the will of his Father That's what he's referring to when he talks about the daytime in these verses. His time of earthly ministry was coming to a close, but there's going to be a night where where he isn't going to be here on this earth. And Jesus understood that his opportunities for ministry and service and healing and displaying the works of God was coming to an end shortly on earth. And yet, he had this compassion that drove him to this man, to see this man. It's beautiful. But Jesus knew his mission. And his time on earth was was coming short. So in this powerful moment, what Jesus does is he spits on the ground. Did you guys notice how he ends up healing this guy? He spits on the ground, and he ends up making mud with, with his saliva. And he ends up anointing this man's eyes with this mud and saliva. And he says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Again, there's, there's really a fascinating element to this story when you're reading it because I, I at least found it very fascinating that this man wasn't healed instantly. Rather, Jesus is telling him, he washes him with this mud and saliva, and he says, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And it's funny because like, there's like this call to obedience here that's happening. There's, there's a call to obedience as Jesus comes on the scene in this man's life. Like, will you truly believe that I am the light of the world? Well, go and wash in that pool and you will be healed. And he went and he washed and he came back seeing. This man obeys. 
He literally goes down to the pool. I, I wonder what was going through this guy's mind, though, when he has this Jesus come up to him, who he can't see, and this Jesus literally rubs mud all over his eyes. <laughs> like, you would think if just a random person came up to you and started rubbing mud over your eyes, you would probably punch them, right? Or like, what are you doing? Get away from me. This is weird. But the power of God is being on display here. This man is starting to believe in faith that this man's presence, Jesus, is, is really incredible. And he's like, he, he begins to believe this man and wipes his eyes with this mud and saliva, obeys this, this Jesus when he tells him to go walk down to the pool and wash. It's amazing. I mean, there's, there's just another beautiful spiritual picture happening here if you haven't caught it. Christ is providing healing in this moment. He's using this mud and saliva. He's rubbing his eyes and telling him to go wash. Will the man submit and obey and believe that Jesus is the one, the light of the world, who is bringing healing? Is he the one that, that has the power to, 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 to heal him from his blindness? And then check out what happens in, in verses 8 through 12. It says this, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So the man goes and he washes and he comes back and all the neighbors begin to talk. I mean, this miracle has just happened. Is that, is that really the man right there? Is that really the man who used to sit and beg? Some believed it, but others didn't. And he keeps saying, guys, I'm the guy. I am the man. Like, I was that dude. Stop, like, doubting this. Like, you guys are, some of you guys don't believe this, but I am the man that you are talking about. I was that guy. I was that beggar. I have been healed. Well, well how in the world were your eyes open then? Well, this, this man named Jesus came and, like, he anointed my eyes. Well, well, well where is he? I don't know. I don't know. It's so unbelievable what had just happened, and some people just couldn't believe it. I mean, isn't this the guy that used to just sit and beg all day long? How in the world is it possible that this guy can see now? Like, we've passed this guy for years and years and years sitting here outside the temple gates. Like, he has to settle the debates and tell them that he's the guy that's been sitting there begging for years. Can you imagine the joy that this guy must have had in this moment? Just being able to see for the very first time. And I mean, I think about that idea of like, I wonder if he just started running around. Like, you know, he probably hadn't been able to run his whole life being blind. And now he can see for the very first time. I can't even imagine the joy that this man must have had. You know, I, I almost envision, like, the closing scene of The Christmas Carol, you know, where Ebenezer Scrooge just is going around and smiling and laughing, and just there's just this exuberant joy 
of a changed man, right? And in this moment, this man, he's, he's been healed. He's running around for joy. Or I think about the joy of even that, that boy that could see those enchroma glasses that we showed here this morning, that emotional joy. It's, it's unbelievable what Jesus just did. He just healed this man that was blind his entire life. But how did it happen? This man, his name was Jesus. He anointed my eyes using this mud and saliva. He told me to go to this pool. It was crazy. It was a miracle. What an incredible miracle by Jesus. As we close this morning, I want to invite the band to come on up. I hope you guys have seen the spiritual picture of this story today. Folks, before Christ, we are that blind man. We are slaves to our sin. We are walking in darkness. We are spiritually blind. And Jesus comes on the scene by his miraculous grace. He reaches down. He sees us. And he asks that we have a simple faith, believing in who he says he is. That we are sinners in darkness, in need of a Savior. And he's the only one that can provide spiritual healing in our life. And what he does is he heals us when we believe. Jesus heals us. He sets us free. He washes our sin by the precious blood in which he sheds. Folks, the call to all of us today is, have you been given sight to your blindness by Jesus? The invitation is open. Jesus sees you this morning. He's, that, that's the Holy Spirit calling you if you're feeling that conviction this morning. And, and God wants to grant you that sight to those of you that are spiritually blind this morning. And all he's asking is by faith you believe that he is the only one that can provide spiritual healing to your brokenness and your darkness and your blindness. He says, repent of your sins, of your slavery to sin, your brokenness to sin, and by faith believe that I am the Son of God, that everything I said and everything I did was true, that I died and I rose again, and you will find healing. And you can experience that this morning. Folks, would you bow your heads with me? If any of you believe that that's the next step that you should take is to believe, why don't you pray and, and repent of your sins and, and believe and, and, and find the embrace of your Lord and Savior looking at you offering you that grace and forgiveness. All he's calling for is faith and for you to submit to him. If you made that decision, would you mind just catching my eye up here this morning? I would love just to pray for you and thank God for you.
Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful spiritual picture and this story of our blindness. God, we were once walking in darkness, but now we have found this marvelous light, which is you. Lord, we were in captivity to our sin. We were unable to see, but Lord, you saw us with such compassion and grace, and you, you called us to yourself, and we believe by faith in the work of you and who you are. God, I pray that every person in this room would have that security, have that assurance, Lord, that they are your children, that they can find healing only in you, the way, the truth, the life. Only in you, the one who is the light of the world, the one that says, come, all who are thirsty. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, the power of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, would you stand with us? Let's worship together. Our King of Kings, the light of the world.